accent, so on and so forth. Try my hand, in, you know, at building something with that, and and repeat the process continuously, um, devouring sort of one book at a time. So I I found my passion really early on. I mean, I knew I wanted to do something in entrepreneurship. Uh, also, kind of partly read tons of biographies and was really inspired to um, uh, to start a company. And then uh, uh, in that time frame, I also, you know, firmly realized that I want to, I mean, I, I used to always geek out on math and physics. I still do. Um, so my side passion is, uh, uh, is, is learning sort of um, um, advanced physics, uh, math and so on and so forth. But, you know, um, <clears throat> that kind of naturally progressed to computer science. And so I always knew that I wanted to do something in computer science. And uh, we'd end up doing, um, you know, uh, consulting for random people, earning some pocket money until eventually at 17, I started uh, Direct Eye along with my brother, Dave. And both of us um, ran that company for, uh, so we borrowed actually $300 from dad, so 25,000 rupees, bought our first server in a uh, uh, data center called Alabanza in, in the U.S., and started selling uh, uh, web hosting packages and domain names to companies in India. And this is when the internet was just starting out. So this was 97, 98. Um, so just about, you know, VSNL, I think, started selling TCP IP connections in, uh, in 94. And so two or three years into sort of the internet's penetration in India. And uh, we were one of the early <clears throat> sort of providers for... Uh, fundamental services like email, web hosting, etc., and then um, uh, and then um, uh, grew that became sort of the largest iconic related registrar um, in India, uh, fourth largest worldwide in the history of the company, and then eventually sold that um, sold that company in 2014. Um, Parley, um, Div started a company called Media.net. I, I started another company called Radix in 2012. Um, and Radix um, is, is now a, a half a billion dollar enterprise. I have a CEO that runs the show. Uh, I invested about 25 million of my personal capital in that company. Um, I, I still own um, 100%, so it's still kind of entirely um, organically grown, no external funding. Uh, and then 2014, I started Flock, and then now 2015, um, Zeta. Zeta is the latest venture, um, along with co founded that along with Ramki. Um, and with Zeta, the goal is to sort of um, disrupt the banking technology space. And so we fundamentally believe that banking tech is broken. We've built the world's first most comprehensive bank in a box. Um, can run any banking product. So if you're a legacy bank or a new bank or a fintech, um, it can enable you to sort of launch credit cards, debit cards, checking funds, deposits, loans, pretty much anything that you need. <clears throat> um, uh, our platform can sort of run any financial services product. So yeah, that's been the... Um, that's been the history and journey uh, thus far. Um, Zeta is the first company I've raised um, institutional funding. Um, we did have some strategic investments, but um, Zeta is the first company I've raised institutional investment in. Um, and um, as you mentioned, yeah, recently SoftBank um, showed sort of tremendous conviction in us and and, um, and and has sort of invested a chunk of money for our growth and expansion globally. So that's yeah, that's kind of a quick um, quick history. And Bhavan, what changed your mind there uh, on on change on uh, changing gears from building bootstrap business to raising money from institutions? I mean, I think I've always fundamentally I've never had anything against raising capital. Direct I didn't need any capital, so we uh, managed to grow it into a profitable venture in the first few years itself. Um, actually, we made a profit in the very first year. Uh, I think our first year profit was uh, I think four and a half lakh rupees or something. Um, these days, you I guess can't even hire a a, a software engineer or pretty much anybody for that. So, uh, but I, I mean, I remember.
very first software developer that I hired. And Radix, I had put my own personal money. And then with Zeta also, I put about 40 million of my personal capital. Ramki's put in some personal capital of his own. And uh, and now, given the kind of uh, scale, look, I mean, I think this is, you know, banks spend $200 billion per year on IT spends across the globe. Given the kind of scale that we're looking to grow to, uh, we felt it's right to bring in sort of smart capital, both in terms of um, expansion, because, you know, you can't put, like, I can't keep pumping in all of the capital. It won't be... I have to still wear my hat also as an investor on the side, right? So um, my family office, um, you know, wouldn't necessarily make sense for for me to put all my pool of cap, pools of capital all into my companies. Uh, and at the same time, I think, you know, uh, funds like, like SoftBank in this case, we had a bunch of different funds interested in us and eventually closed the transaction with, uh, with SoftBank. And, and they bring a lot of... Uh, um, value besides just capital, you know, large majority of big global fintechs, um, they're kind of, you know, on the cap table. So there's direct connections to be made there. They have direct connections into the banking space and uh, financial institutions worldwide. And so there's a lot of value, meaningful value that they can add in terms of opening doors, which is predominantly what we were looking for when raising this capital round is, um, uh, is uh, outside of the capital, somebody who can connect us, right players and, and open the right doors for us, basically. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Evan, for kicking, kicking off with that. And now I'll dive deeper into, see, you've built multiple businesses and different businesses have reached uh, scale. And uh, of course, to begin with, uh, all these businesses had smaller number of people and uh, and and first startup, you were also younger in, in, in startups uh, later on. You had, you had experienced team to begin with. Uh, what is the org building, how is org building process different uh, when you are early in the journey versus later in the journey, what type of people do you hire? What type of people are the best fit? Uh, how do you maintain the effectiveness in the organization uh, as you grow big? Uh, I know you talk about it uh, in, in public forums and I would love to discuss more on this. Um, sure, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, 10, 20 to 100, 100 to 500, I guess 500 to 1500, there's like lots and lots of inflection points and differences in terms of how you operate a company, how you scale and things like that. Um, you know, for instance, uh, when, you, when you're a small organization, you by default leverage serendipity, right? Because, um, um, <clears throat> you, you know, you, you're in a single... I won't even say office, perhaps like a single room, you can all sort of sit together, eat together, meet together. And, and there's a lot of information flow across various functions that's happening without any engineering, without any effort. But when you're in a 100, 150 people sort of organization, suddenly there's managers and team leads and floors and, um, you know, sections of your office and so on and so forth. You're normally creating um gated communities and so now you have to engineer serendipity and you have to percolate culture and how do you ensure that every individual in the organization will make sort of similar decisions um, um, to the founders and you know how do you make sure that they sort of a culture fit and things like that and so i think there's a lot of um, additional effort that goes behind that in fact um, um, um so i personally strongly believe in the fact that you know you need to be very very deeply and closely involved in hiring the first 100 plus people 150 people um you know 
I think um, uh, Workplace CEO says all the way up to 500 people, perhaps even, but to try and get the right kind of, you know, culture fit and, and the right kind of talent in your organization, which I think is the most important thing. Um, and then the other thing, so, you know, actually my, my kind of three-step uh, formula, by the way, that I, I, have, I have the luxury of making a lot of mistakes in my life. And so, uh, uh, so in many ways, when I can distill information today, it's a function of, uh, of screwing up in so many different ways across the last 25 years. Um, all of which have been spent in B2B SaaS, so there's a lot of sort of modeling and frameworks, I guess, I, I can leverage now in, in building a B2B SaaS company. But really, the way I see sort of success um, in any organization is kind of three functions, three things, which is... Uh, I call it TAP, which is talent alignment and prioritization. And so um, it's all it's all about hiring the best or hiring the right talent, ensuring that you align everybody to uh, to the right objectives and goals so that everybody's working towards common objectives, and then enabling folks to prioritize and focus on the highest impact initiatives to achieve those objectives. And that's really fundamentally all it takes to succeed in any venture or endeavor. Um, and so as you grow larger, the each of these becomes harder, right? Because hiring the best talent, I guess, to a certain extent, you as a founder have to bring in the, the right ingredients at the beginning, but then how do you percolate that across the board? Um, aligning folks to, the, uh, to common objectives, that's actually, you know, each individual that you add increases complexity in that regards. And so to try and make sure that everybody's running in the right direction is, uh, is another challenge. And, and there, by the way, I... Um, across all my organizations live and breathe by OKRs. Like I strongly, it's a tool and a framework that I, I wish I'd discovered 20 years ago, uh, but, you know, only did like three to four years ago. And so now since the last uh, four years, we've been, um, we've been aggressively following that practice across all, all my companies. But, um, um, but it's again, sort of very useful to try and make sure that everybody's very, everybody's aligned towards common annual objectives and uh, quarterly objectives and so on and so forth. And then, uh, enabling folks uh, to prioritize and focus on sort of the highest impact initiatives, uh, I think that's kind of a culture you create of like um, data-driven decisions, experimentation, um, focusing on you know outcome versus output, and so on and so forth. Um, so obviously, all of this stuff becomes you know harder the bigger you grow, um, and it's it's important um, uh, for the leadership to consistently kind of seed. Um, um, the values of the organization with regards to all of this, um, uh, you know, early on and then continue to sort of repeatedly do so. Awesome. Uh, and by the way, folks, uh, those of you who want to read about OKR better, Bhavin has videos on YouTube. And I think it's a must uh, listen for all entrepreneurs uh, to, to implement that in their in their companies. Uh, Bhavin, it, how do you decide between choosing between attitude and skill because at early stage you don't have the luxury to get everything and i see many entrepreneurs struggling there uh, he's, he has the right attitude but he does not have the experience or the skill while in some case it's a skill fit but he, does, he might not have the right attitude he might not be a fit in the in the culture or the or, or the or the ethos of the system uh, how do you pick between the two I mean, I think actually, to me, the choice is very simple. I mean, uh, ideally, I would pick, you know, somebody, folks would have both, but uh, but we actually don't necessarily even test a lot for skills. So if I was to talk about uh, the choice between the two, I mean, it's very clear that you pick attitude over skills. Skills 
can be acquired. Well, I guess I'll give you three two three perspectives. One is skills can be acquired um, very easily. There's courses, there's books, there's uh, um, stuff you can read, people you can talk to, and so certainly you can acquire skills relatively more easily than acquiring attitude. Second is when you're bringing in individuals, even more so at an early stage. Um, in an early stage startup, you're looking at individuals who're gonna. Stick around and work with you for the long term, because um, this is the defining co-founding team. And what's going to serve them well in the long term is attitude, um, and not necessarily skills, because skills will need to change as they grow, especially in the early growth phases when you're rapidly growing. You know, skills are going to be um, less relevant. You should have the, in fact, even acquiring skills itself. That that you know, first principles thinking, curiosity. Uh, that that uh, thirst for knowledge. These are all sort of attitudinal aspects, and they're going to you know serve you much much better. Also, there's a lot of vagueness and ambiguity when it comes to sort of starting up, right? Uh, so I, I always think about, and I, you know, I can discuss this a bit more detail if you like, you know, eventually. But I always think about any of my companies having, uh, or any company in general, goes through kind of four stages, which is. Uh, uh planning discovery scaling and steady state right so you start out by planning where you decide whether you want to you know enter into this field business product create this you know uh product or not uh in discovery you actually discover whether you know hypothesis was valid create an mvp get to product market fit figure out if people are willing to buy um do you have a traction channel and then scaling is when you start to scale because you now have a viable business and steady state is now kind of growing at a steady state right a startup is typically spending most of their time in the early years in the planning and discovery stage and in that stage there is a lot of ambiguity it's a zero to one motion um and so actually there isn't necessarily even a specific set of skills in fact the skills are more um first principle thinking curiosity uh, ability to sort of act you know um, even in an ambiguous environment rapid change and rapid experimentation and and so it's a very it's 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 not sort of defined knowledge it's actually um it's actually being able to um being able to um flex uh, and be agile uh, and so in that in that phase in a startup journey again you you know you definitely need again attitude um is much much more relevant than um, than than skills uh would be so my my typical um formula in terms of hiring individuals i guess there's three things that come top of mind which is smart and and is sort of a good problem solver so that's kind of the intellect smartness problem solving capability the second is where the you know attitude comes in in terms of gets things done is accountable and uh, uh and, and delivers and then the and so that's the second bucket and the third bucket is humility which is again an attitude and an attribute right i very very strongly um believe in sort of hiring nice people people with humility because i strongly believe that um um that you know people who are who have a, a high degree of humility are the ones who sort of tend to constantly learn um and continuously sort of um uh, be open to um other perspectives and the fact that they still have a lot to a lot of unknown unknowns or no 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 unknowns out there that they need to um that they need to tackle so so yeah um long long answer and long story short but uh, you know definitely attitude over skills that actually is very very actionable uh in in terms of hiring process just check these three things and it's uh, it just solves the process for you and you know i'll unpack the tap framework i would i would say the answer that you gave right now solves for the t bit for a bit uh, i think there's a there's a question that most entrepreneurs face that should they should they organize the team in functional at functional levels that uh, that that every that every team is reporting to the functional boss uh, or it should be de- decentralized autonomous teams and both have their advantages and disadvantages 
and I'm sure in the different organizations you have built and and seen different different structures have worked. Uh, so, how would you advise entrepreneurs to think about building their team and think about uh, the centralized functions, functional structure versus decentralized autonomous structures? Sure. So, um, again, much like anything in an entrepreneurial journey, there is no one prescription. Again, it depends on the phase of your company. Uh, and I'll take the same example of you know planning discovery versus scaling and steady state. Uh, you know, in the early stages when you're building a product, it's I guess the best analogy I can give is it's it's almost like making a movie. Right, uh, um, it's in that early stage where there's ideation, where there's scripting, where there's casting, where there is you know shooting, prototyping, and wireframing, and um, storyboarding, and so on and so forth. And and typically in that scenario, um, you would uh, you you would basically um, assemble. Uh, it's like a commando team of different functions. It's always a cross-functional team that comes together um, to 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 make that happen. So you can't at the early stages actually have strict defined functions, clear segregations and departments. You want actually, you know, great product people, great design people, great engineering people, um, you know, go-to-market people, all come together. People who can flex, as I said, because there's so much vagueness, right? You bring in, you can't even start bringing in um, specialists at that stage, right? Because let's take marketing as an example. You're in the discovery phase. Um, uh, and I can, as I said, I'll elaborate on that, you know, subsequently. But if you're in the discovery phase, one of your goals is to find a GTM traction channel where you don't know which traction channel is going to work out. Is it going to be SEM, SEO, social marketing, enterprise sales, mid-market sales, inside sales, uh, partnerships, affiliates? There are, you know, much like how product development is experimentation, GTM development is also expect experimentation. And now at this point, if you suddenly say, okay, I'm going to go out there and hire the best digital marketing team, and create this functional team it might turn out your product is not conducive to digital marketing. So, at this uh, at this sort of planning and discovery stages, you want a much more sort of um, you know as I said, making a movie, cross-functional growth teams and hacking teams that come together. The moment you get to the scaling stage, I say halfway through, so the first two and a half stages for me in the company, planning, discovery, and halfway through scaling is um, is very different from once you get kind of halfway through scaling or. 20% of the way through scaling and then after that. And so when you're in the scaling stage, yes, now you have a definitive traction channel that um, that works. So you might create a full-fledged sales team under a functional head and you might create a marketing team under a marketing head and um, you might create a you know, specific product team, specific engineering team and so on and so forth. Uh, even there, by the way, growth teams still tend to be sort of cross-functional, but now suddenly some functional hierarchy and uh, functional structure begins to form. Um, and then by the time you get to steady state, you potentially have for that product you have a you know proper structured functional uh, distribution but if you're starting another project it'll start again from skunk works and go through the same four phases and so um so you know you're once again um you, you're once again going to sort of want to have cross-functional teams that are working autonomously with the objective to validate a hypothesis using experimentation to kind of get there as fast as possible so so as i said it kind of it depends on the phase of the company that you're in and you know, Bhavin, when you're talking about it, I'm realizing that effectively a company is like a like a baby uh, to begin with, and over time is growing. So at every point in the journey of parenting, you effectively need different different approaches uh, to make it work. And and similarly, uh, in in organization building as well, uh, I'm realizing that all all the approaches need to be tweaked as the organization is evolving uh, and is is really dependent on uh, depending on the depending on the stage and the and the and the structure of the organization. 
is very 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 useful uh, changing gears uh, because i know you talk about it a lot and 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 we are, and i realize that that we are halfway through um, you talk uh, you have always talked about that everyone should work to their full potential you talk about you talk a lot about uh, enabling people to realize their full potential uh, and like as you know productivity in knowledge work is very broad and and not as straightforward so intuitively how do you define productivity for individuals and for organization and 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 how do you how do you advise people to reach their full uh, productivity limit and what has worked for you in some sense well i mean i would say that uh, so there is organizational productivity and personal productivity um, and i would say that for me the definition of productivity is i guess the unit impact that you can make by unit time so i guess you know if i had to sort of put a formula out there so so in effect if you set out to achieve a goal you know what's the or set out to sort of uh, uh, disrupt an industry what's the sort of um, you know unit impact you can make per uh, per, per unit time Uh, and so i think we, as an organization our goal and as an individual my personal goal is always to try and maximize that and keep improving that so if uh, if what i can achieve per unit time in terms of impact or out, outcome is is higher today than it was a year ago then i've certainly you know improved our productivity in general so i guess that's the way um that's the way i would define it i, I didn't catch your second question if there was a follow up on that Uh, so uh, what what i was what i was uh, extending from there is that uh, once you have so the definition of productivity for organization and and an individual is different uh, for a personal life uh, how do you define productivity goals for you and how do you make it efficient for you to increase productivity are there some habits that you have uh, to ensure that you are continuously pushing limits there uh well, nothing nothing significantly fancy i guess i have some you know idiosyncrasies if you will so for instance i am a huge believer of uh, processification and automation so if i end up repeating anything more than 3 times i will invariably write like a process document and delegate it to somebody and make sure there is a you know some level of sort of um, um uh, processification of that right so that's one thing that i uh, that i tend to do for everything in my personal life like whether it's uh, you know uh, i don't know food clothes and basic sort of day to day personal living or is sort of work related stuff if 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 i know there's something that's going to re- be repeated then there is going to be a document somewhere um, that somebody can follow to kind of repeat it um i i tend to be very um uh focused on automation in general so i will typically try and uh, you know look look for tools and and things that will kind of uh, make me more efficient etc and so um you know whether it's um, a setup that i have like multiple monitors and the right kind of environment whether it's you know to do lists and task tracking tools and things that that i use uh, or that we've built internally uh, ourselves the, the goal is always to try and automate as much as possible um the this whole notion as i mentioned on uh, in the sort of tap framework that i was talking about um i think one of the things that um um you know so so productivity can can be a tricky business sometimes because it's super easy to keep busy i mean you can very easily spend your entire day everybody anybody in the world can do that right spend your entire day working uh working on stuff and uh, and so it's very easy as an individual as an organization to keep busy it's much more harder to be busy on the right stuff and so i have this um uh well, i guess for the organization in general and for for myself in terms of stuff that i work on uh one of the principles i call sort of this you know um um 
dim which is sort of discovery implementation and measurement uh, and the time division between them so what i mean is that by that is that as an organization as individuals in the organization you'll find a lot of people spend a lot of their time doing stuff um and so i call that implementation right you, you know a lot of people in fact in many many teams you might find this people are all the time busy all the time and spend 90% of the time just doing stuff and i mean i've found over time that i think the best ratio so what i think what i think of you know when i when i say dim discovery implementation measurement discovery is actually the time spent in not doing stuff but rather in figuring out what to do implementation is the time spent in actually doing it and then measurement which actually even more than discovery gets um, uh, falls by the wayside is um, um um is actually measuring the outcome that you achieved on the task the task or task that you did and my perspective is that you should ideally spend less than 30 to 40% of your time on implementation which means actually doing stuff you should be spending about 30% of your time on discovery and then another 30% of your time on measurement and so as long as you as long as you follow this philosophy you're spending enough time on figuring out what to do which means you sort of you know again using data validation experimentation etc you form a hypothesis saying that okay if this is the task i pick up or these are the tasks that we as an organization pick up and applies at any level whether it's a task or a feature or a product or um, uh, an initiative or whatever it is um, you develop a hypothesis so because you're spending time for discovery and because there are 20 things you could do now at least you have time to sort of decide out of those 20 things what is the lowest effort highest impact set of initiatives and that sort of is what you what your deliverable in the discovery you know processes post that in the implementation phase you're actually going and implementing it uh, but then the equally important phase which is your retrospective or your measurement phase you're going back and saying okay well now i did this and my hypothesis was there will result in this impact the impact could be i don't know increased traffic on my website increased usage or engagement for my app increase retention for my users increase revenue uh, whatever the impact was didn't actually make that impact because if it didn't then you clearly made a mistake in the discovery process and it's important to learn that mistake so that the next time you repeat the cycle um you know you once again starting off with discovering the right stuff to do so uh, um so i guess that's another kind of you know important productivity hack which is to spend a larger majority of time not just you know equal i'm proposing a larger majority of your time in figuring out what to do and measuring that it actually got the level of impact that you want to as opposed to just doing stuff and keeping busy um so yeah that's quick the one that is super helpful and and you know one problem i see at least in my calendar is that sometimes i realize at the end of two weeks that hey this was very very busy uh i i was i probably had 80 hour uh, 90 hour uh, work week um, and but then i look at my calendar and what did i really do over the past two weeks uh, and i realized that nothing really impactful was achieved so everything i was doing was process work or low impact work which killed time and i felt good about it because for some reason uh, we feel good about working hard without output uh, but but when you take a step back it just becomes challenging so is there a way you would advise uh, entrepreneurs executives to get out of it so of course the dim framework is is beautiful but but i'm i'm expecting that there would there should be some way to figure out that this is this is urgent but not important task this is not urgent but important task and some things some part of the calendar should definitely be spent on strategic long term goals and then only then only perhaps we are moving 
moving the bigger uh, rock otherwise we are just uh, pushing the wall without any reason uh, so is there is there some advice that you have for entrepreneurs and executives on that Well, I mean, I guess the discovery, measurement, implementation kind of takes care of most of the issue. If you follow that as a principle, um, I think the other perspective, like just given what you asked me right now, is that if you haven't, if you if you don't know where you want to go, then you can't actually decide what to do, right? So if if you can't define impact, in fact, in the first place, so what is the you know key result that you're trying to achieve? What is the objective that you're trying to achieve? then that's where you have to start because again you know to 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 actually figure out what the highest impact initiatives are you need to have a clear understanding of where you or the organization again let's take an organization as example so where the organization wants to go if you're not clear on that then you can't pick the highest impact initiatives so i think that's the starting point which is alignment and truly picking the right objectives uh um, the, the other well, i guess outside of these two things the other thing that i i will point out is the shorter i mean i guess there's a there's an optimal timeline but uh, and in fact in the development world agile has kind of got it right right which is you know sprints of maybe between 2 to 6 weeks you know so average 4 weeks basically so if if your discovery implementation measurement cycle is on the order of like a you know 4 to 6 week cycle that's even better because worst case scenario if you end up picking up the wrong stuff to do you've only lost 6 weeks now if on the other hand you sit down and make a you know two year plan and then start working towards it and at the end of two years realize that okay actually what you worked on didn't have that much of an impact or didn't make sense then you've lost you know two years so kind of frequent you know quick sprint sort of faster releases um uh, quick experimentation thin slicing um these are all techniques by the way that are that are borrowed from standard sort of product management um um you know agile software development and many of the practices that we see in lean uh, philosophy but they all are they all are relevant to the same same aspect which is how do you minimize low impact work and maximize high impact work by taking frequent measurements retrospectives and uh, spending adequate time on discoveries validation uh, and so on and so forth very good very good i think most people do this mistake that they don't have the goals aligned and because of that uh, people are just running on the treadmill and uh, and and this i've seen me and many of my friends do that mistake uh, so i think this is this is great uh, bavin you have of course uh, of course advised and and many many folks have 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 grown very fast in front of you and uh, and under your under your guidance uh, for folks just starting out or or fairly young in their careers how should what would you advise what would you advise be for them how should they they build high growth careers and uh, one realization i have is that different times have different answers uh, so when you were starting in 1997 1998 uh, the time was different the opportunities were different and hence the answer to this question would be very different from what it would be today given given the markets are are more competitive but 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 innovation is happening on a different uh, on a different uh, um, line so so would love to get your advice uh, for for all the young folks on the in the on the call here um well, i guess the the one thing i can say for anybody starting out is is um focus on creating value you know valuation is a side effect 
and so that's my fundamental philosophy i think in fact that's the def- that's the very definition of business in the first place so definition of business to me is when let's say your product or service whatever you have yeah your product or service is delivering greater value to your customers than the value that you ask from your customers um, which you can call it revenue or engagement or profit or whatever it is right and so to me the you know uh, the fundamental definition of a business is when you can add meaningful and substantial value um you know people will be willing to pay for it um in whichever way direct or indirect so i think if 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 you pick a problem space and you focus on creating value then you know everything else will sort of flow flow through um typically when i and this is kind of the planning stage the business that i was talking about earlier typically when i think of starting out a new um new product or business there's really i guess you know was was actually a framework of six things but there's really three primary things that i'm trying to answer which is who's the persona what's the problem that they're facing and how can my product solve it 10x better than the existing state of the art um and if you have a very good answer to these and you should spend a good chunk of your time in the planning phase to get an answer to this but if you have a very good answer for this that okay this is my persona set of users you know this this is the real you know frustration of problem they are facing which is a problem they value uh, it it is a you know issue for them etc and then my product can solve it you know 10x better than than what exists out there then you have a viable uh, viable business plan of course then you have to have you know go to market and moat and revenue and the other things but um, but you start out with those fundamentals but you know the way you say it it sounds it sounds right that of course this is what i should be doing but when i am in those shoes it's just very difficult to to see it that clearly because the markets are evolving every there there are, there are a lot of questions and some questions cannot be uh, there there's no way to figure out answers to those questions so uh, maybe maybe by example it would be uh, clearer that when you picked all the business business ideas that you picked what was the thinking how did you test how did you verify whether it's a real market how do you verify that that is the problem you want to solve and and give years to that problem how did you have conviction on those problems and 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 because you have built multiple companies every time that would have been a question in your mind that is that the right problem to solve for you uh, interestingly i would argue i don't know what that type is but after that all the problems that you started that you that you tried solving were not the hottest problems in that time so it was not that you had market validation so easily that this is the problem i should be solving the banking saas market is hot today it was not hot at all i i didn't even know about it in 2015 uh, when you started zika so so there is some there is some thought process that are there is some deeper work that goes in when you think about the problems that you think that you think about would love to just dive deeper into that and 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 get your perspective there sure so i mean i can take zika's example actually this is um, um this is app because you know ramki and i we started conceptualizing um zika in 2014 so We, we wrote the first line of code and got in the first set of individuals in 2015 but we started uh, discussing it in 2014 and we spent a good one year doing sort of homework and and going through the planning stage to figure out what we wanted to do what we wanted to build and and so on and so forth and so um you know back then i guess so i guess the the starting point of the genesis is some level of frustration that well here's an industry banking and payments tech and if you look at the software they look at the interface you look at the user experience you look at the, and it permeates by the way everybody in the world um but still provides a lousy user experience um 
very very centralized um doesn't you know there's no democratization of banking overall there's no sort of capabilities at the edge um there's very very high dependency on infrastructure and so th- it starts with that kind of intuitive feeling and frustration that there is here's an industry which is a massive industry it's global and and there clearly are problems with it and then when you you know start talking to people right you talk to you know people in banks um it people and you know um, business folks etc and, and ask them about their existing systems and stuff then you realize not a single person loves their existing platform so there in itself the moment you find consumers using something that they don't love uh for years and years in this case decades perhaps even you know clearly there's an opportunity there right you talk to enterprises you know hr people employees etc and people like oh we know we hate our salary disbursement processes and payroll processes and reimbursement processes and everything is painful so when you start doing that initial diligence you suddenly find when there's a lot of pain and people are not in love with or not excited by or not um you know um super happy about what the what the current status is you already know you figured out that there is a big problem it doesn't necessarily mean that it's solvable it doesn't necessarily mean that there's money in it it just means that you found sort of at least a problem space in a problem domain uh once you found a problem space in a problem domain you know you you basically got i guess three buckets right you've got your known knowns known unknowns and unknown unknowns right in fact for us i would say almost everything was in the known unknowns and unknown unknowns bucket when we started around 2014 so now you spend your time in in just you know talking to people reading stuff doing homework um you know so we we spent a lot of time kind of figuring out technology players reading up you know pnl statements of banks and uh understanding licensing and regulation and uh looking at existing software stacks and so on and so forth until you get to a you know what i call fundamental clarity so you can't start your first principles thinking i guess without at least uncovering a you know, you you never uncover all unknown unknowns but at least uncovering the relevant portions of known unknowns and unknown unknowns and so you get to a certain point when you have reasonable clarity in terms of you know you've got a map of the industry you kind of mapping out um the different players the different opportunities the areas where the problems are and you're trying to find i guess an intersection between you know a problem space that's large enough um a problem space where you have the core competence to be able to sort of deliver something within a certain time frame with the resources and capital and uh, and people that you have uh, and so you sort of try and find that intersection and then you basically um you basically focus on uh, um uh, on then forming your hypothesis first product that you want to build um then that that hypothesis as i said then will comprise of okay here's a persona this is the problem statement um so in our case for instance you know we start off with a vision of disrupting banking and payments as a whole uh, and that's what we're doing today um but we said that there are so many scenarios you know payments and 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 banking cover so many scenarios we'll pick one scenario which is uh employee benefits where a company has to pay money to an employee that the money can you that the employee can use only for the purpose of you know certain types of restricted benefits and rules and so there we felt like um well there's a huge opportunity in terms of you know it apl- it applies to every mid market enterprise company for all across all their employees and um, um and there isn't a meaningful solution and there are multiple stakeholders involved um all of whom are unhappy and so so we picked a problem space and we had a hypothesis on that problem space and we quickly in the first 6 months hacked out a product which um you know 
in our minds was great but turned out turned out that it wasn't we made a flawed assumption we said okay no cards mobile is in we'll just do a smartphone based product and nothing else um and realized that look this was before upi and stuff and before demon and uh, and so you know it didn't really kick off and take off we quickly quickly did um uh uh sort of a quick pivot on the uh, on the product and added cards added some other functionality and features and like we had to keep doing that until about a year in we found decent product market fit and then the next year we did a you know we spent time scaling and and then sort of you know moved ahead from there so so yeah that's kind of a uh, example of how i i guess you would go through the process um of 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 planning and then and then discovery until you get to product market fit awesome and um, this is very very helpful bhavan and i think one learning i am i am getting from this is that you did not start with a problem and said hey i am doing this startup uh it took you one year to really convince yourself to the groundwork go deeper into the market understand the landscape like just just very very deep work was required before you genuinely committed to yourself that this is the problem worth solving and there's a there's a there's a path the first step that you took was a cautious well thought step and i think most entrepreneurs i meet and 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 many many friends of mine do this mistake where the first step is the lowest uh, effort lowest uh, resistance path uh, that that hey this seems exciting let's start this and and that's when that's when uh, the 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 next steps become more difficult uh, and i think that is a that is a good learning from this that that you had you had experience of building successful startup but still you took time to uh figure out a new space go deeper and then only commit to the problem uh, which is which is great uh i mean i'll say this because i had the experience of building multiple startups that i did that so i can tell you it's you know i've done enough foolhardy stuff in my life where uh, uh where you know i jumped in because i felt an idea was like the next best thing since life spread and it was crap Uh, and i've done this enough number of times to realize that um, that you know you have to go through that process basically it's yeah. uh, um you know so it's 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 i think more the experience um and this applies to everything i mean you know it doesn't just apply to products or business it applies to our recruitment for instance like i strongly believe in spending that extra month or two months in finding the right person then jumping you know and quickly filling in a position um and then cuz cuz so the way i see it is that the moment uh the the moment you are um working on something where um where the the cost of the decision is is uh, is going to have implications for a long term right if i'm hiring somebody or if i'm building a product uh, i'm living with it for the long term then i actually believe so, so apply the same principle by the way discovery implementation measurement right so whether you apply it the level of a feature or initiative a product or an entire company the 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 bigger um the the bigger the um call it entity so if you're doing this for a small feature it might not matter as much if you're doing it for an entire company or business plan i would say that you need to spend proportionately or disproportionately higher time on the discovery phase um than you otherwise would if you were you know performing a small task or initiative right you know if you're buying some tiny thing for your house you might not spend as much time but if you're buying a house itself you will need to spend a greater amount of time on discovery so it's, it's the same principle that applies so depending on the size and scale of what your the endeavor that you're taking up you know when we started zeta the idea was that look it's a company that we're going to run for you know decades and when we're diving into something with that sort of size and scale you have to spend an even larger amount of time in that discovery phase to make sure that uh, 
that you've validated your hypothesis and that you've picked the right uh, battle to fight. Makes sense. Um, and Bhavan, if you were if you were twenty right now and you had those three thousand three hundred dollars, well, maybe now three thousand dollars. Things are slightly more expensive. Uh, if you had three thousand dollars and and if you were twenty again right now, uh, what space would you go after? What would you think about? Uh, because again, at different stages in life, you 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 think about cracking different problems because you have you you have access to different types of things uh, and you have visibility of different types of problems. So. What would you what would you advise young people to do now? I mean, I think that it's not about the amount of capital that you have, or it's not about. I think in most cases, the two things that have started my uh, entrepreneurial journey in each instance is a combination of frustration and passion. Frustration at a problem that I see in the world, and passion about that space. Right? There are many problems that I'm frustrated about, but I'm not so passionate about those spaces. So I definitely don't want to. Start something in that area, and vice versa. There might be things I'm passionate about, uh, but there isn't a frustrating enough problem that's big enough that excites me to sort of start something there, right? So I think uh, the best place to choose to start from is uh, is pick something that really frustrates you in terms of like this is a change you want to see in the world, and it's a space that you're passionate about. Again, by the way, this this combination is not enough for a business. This combination is your starting point. it might turn out that that particular intersection or combination is not a viable business idea in the first place which is why you still go through the discovery motion and so on and so forth but that's a good place to start typically like it's you know it's some it's clearly something that you sort of are frustrated about and that um, that you um, that you're also passionate about uh hi prateek uh, hi bhavin this is vikas uh, i uh, i'm sorry i i actually just jumped in a little bit Uh, this is Vikas. I'm also founder of Lahair, and I uh, really wanted to uh, ask you about the people point that you mentioned about the hiring. I wanted to know what are your principles of, or broadly, how do you go about thinking about people? Because I think one of the most important thing as founders is about creating an organization, right? And and you mentioned that you, it's better to take a longer um, time in filling that position. So what are like? key principles that you follow personally around hiring people and uh, growing them in the organization hey vikas great to meet you yeah thanks for jumping in um great question um if you if i kind of go back to my um tap framework that i spoke about talent alignment and prioritization talent is actually number 1 so um and i fundamentally believe in this philosophy which is that uh, um you know i i I, you see this all the time by the way with you know institutions and colleges etc you'll find many a times the difference between two um i don't know engineering colleges or you know junior colleges or whatever in many cases in terms of quality of infrastructure or um quality of teaching etc may perhaps be almost identical in fact in some cases even the reverse but invariably the the institution that takes in that has an intake at a higher cutoff will also have the highest performing people right so what i mean by that is that you know i've, I've always found that uh, you know obviously if you have if if you have amazing people you may even not necessarily have the most outstanding processes infrastructure capital company organization org design as yet but those things will get figured out if you have an amazing team you have a high probability of success but the reverse doesn't apply you could have the you know most capital the best office the best infrastructure but if you have a team of average people you will actually still not 
result in success or the probability of success kind of goes down. Um, and so, you know, in some sense, therefore, people become key. In terms of principles, um, I can talk about a bunch of things. Like I, I, so I, I still spend 30 to 40% of my time in recruitment or recruitment associated activities. I, I spend about, you know, today, I, I, every weekend I'm doing about nine to 14 hours of interviews. Um, that's kind of my best time to kind of interview candidates, etc. I spend a bunch of time in check-ins throughout the week with regards to hiring uh, candidates and, and things like that. So I think it's super important for founders to be personally involved to the maximum possible extent. I think the highest value activity you can perform for your organization in almost every phase um, is, is bringing the right people to the extent that you need to. Um, so I think that's kind of one uh, element. Um, so notion of, um, you know, hiring about the mean um, so that you continuously improve the average of your organization. So one of the things, one of the principles that I would typically follow, I guess, is um, when I'm interviewing somebody or when anybody in our organization sort of evaluating somebody, our perspective is, well, you know, is this individual better than the average of, you know, peers that we have in the organization for a similar functional role? Because if they are lower than the average, then they're coming into the organization mathematically reduces the average score of the organization. If they are higher than the average, then mathematically the the average score of the organization goes up. And so it's, you know, if I'm hiring a product manager, if I'm hiring a, you know, VP engineering or whatever, I can, you know, do a gut comparison during that interview saying that, okay, are they better than the average of what we have in our organization, in which case they're additive, mathematically additive to our, um, to our overall score. Um, um, I mentioned earlier this whole notion of, you know, um, things we look out for is sort of smart problem solvers, uh, people who are accountable and get things done, and people who have, you know, high degree of humility and niceness. I think those are the three kind of um, aspects that that we uh, that we would look out for in general. So I guess that's kind of an additional uh, element. Um, I keep telling people, I guess, in interviews, you know, it's always good to... Um, uh, uh, good to walk out of an interview feeling like, oh, if this individual joins our organization, that we'll get to learn something from him or her, you know? So that's another kind of um, uh, thumb rule or metric that we can use. And like, I, I strongly believe in consistently raising the bar. You know, I I, um, I talk about this philosophy a lot um, in, in, in a lot of my sessions, which is that, you know, hiring the best talent enables you as an organization not just to outperform other organizations in terms of speed or uh, um, uh, you know output or outcome or things of that, but it actually enables you to do things that other organizations can't even dream of doing. Um, because if you hire the right kind of talent, they actually open up the doors to possibilities of doing things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Um, um, and so that's you know to me a sort of a A player or a rock star is not just you know five x or ten x better than. Uh, an average player. Uh, in some cases, that differential is infinity because there are some things you know you won't be able to just do if you have just average players on your uh, on your team. You know the example that I give. I mean, you can use a sports metaphor or music, whoever it is. If you take, let's say, you know Usain Bolt, um, who's like the fastest runner um, in history. You know, you could take a hundred average athletes, and they still won't be able to put all their physical might and mental acuity together and and beat him. Right. So. Technically, there is something you just won't be able to achieve um, with with as large a potential team of average players as you can imagine. Um, and so, therefore, there are some sort of rock stars that you want to bring in to make sure that there are possibilities or things that you can do that you otherwise wouldn't even be able to do because you don't have the right kind of players. So, so I guess yeah, those are some of the principles, Vikas. Um, 
sounds good. Thanks. Over to you, Pratik. Uh, I just wanted to get his answer. Thank you very much. Thanks, Vikal. Thanks, Bhavin. And Bhavin, I have also realized this in my portfolio companies that founders who are able to consistently hire smarter people, because the bar is continuously continuously being raised, you realize that after three years, four years, the team looks very, very different than than in teams where. well slightly average is okay and then suddenly you don't realize after 3 4 years the 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 team quality has become very poor because average people start hiring average people and uh, and the and the mediocrity creeps in super quickly in the team uh, and 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 just keeping the bar high and and increasing the bar every time just makes it easier uh, has been my learning as well uh, i know we are out of time almost out of time maybe last question to bhavin and this is more philosophical uh, Uh, and because well, I'm sure lots of folks think about this. Uh, but when you have built multiple companies, every company has uh, has been slightly different from the previous one, uh, and uh, and uh, and you have been successful in 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 almost all of them. Uh, what continues to inspire you at this stage in your life? Uh, what is it that you are motivated by, uh, and how do you how do you keep uh, pushing yourself every day uh, when you wake up? Yeah, so this is. I think you you probably I think touched upon this uh, earlier in one of your questions. But fundamentally, I believe each of us has a moral obligation to make an impact that's proportionate to our potential. I mean, we uh, uh, we sort of have a gift of this, you know, one life, um, and in some sense, we should be able to look back and say that it was it was purposeful. It it was you know used well. I mean, I, the comparison I give, I guess. So one analogy I can talk about is, I mean, I don't know if you had a. Um, A Ferrari, and it just lay there in the garage and did nothing throughout its life. Then you would call that a wasted sort of expense or a wasted resource. Uh, well, I mean, our, our minds and bodies and our life is actually substantially more valuable, more complex, and more um, intricate a machine than than the best, I guess, machine that exists out there. And so, in some sense, I think it's therefore you know, um, um, it's therefore an obligation upon us to actually make an impact. that that's proportionate to our potential in terms of what we can do um and so i think that's kind of what continues to drive me which i i believe there's still a long way to go in terms of what the kind of impact i can make and um and my golden objective is to sort of see that through awesome thank you bhavin this was super super inspirational i learned a lot i've made a lot of notes and i'll publish that and i'm sure many people in the team would have many people in the in the group would have made notes uh, so we'll publish it together uh and it was super super interesting uh and 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 i'm sure we learned a lot uh, both on org building and on personal uh development and realizing our potential uh and this is super helpful thank you thank you very much thank you soas thank you utkarsh thank you vikas for 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 doing this uh and and uh, and uh, best of luck uh thank you thanks pradeep thanks guys thank you so thank much you. Thank, thank you, Bhavan. Thank you, Pratik. For everyone, uh, really sorry this this went out of time, so we couldn't we couldn't take the questions up. We probably would try to organize a tweet storm or something wherein Bhavan can take all the questions there um, as per his time uh, convenience. And uh, well, again, thank you, thank you so much for sharing this, Bhavan. Super insightful session. Thank you, Pratik, for hosting this so well. The questions were brilliant, and uh, I hope uh, most of the most of the queries for all the founders, party founders over here, were completed. Thank you so much again. Thank you.